Wow. Hey, good morning. 8.51. What are we doing? November what already? Dang. What are you? Number, November 21st. November 21st. It's a momentous day. It's the first morning I put on blue jeans instead of shorts. So people that wear cargo shorts, we get a bad rap. But if you're from Arizona, cargo shorts, baby. That's it. You can't survive here at 110 degrees without cargo shorts, man. So we're big consumers of that. And I, I'm up in the morning. I'm walking Bud here. And I'm looking out um, after we've had some rain. We don't get rain in Arizona. But there's some clouds about 100 feet. Um, well, probably like my eye level. But I can see it's only down about 400 feet. But there's clouds maybe... It must only be like 200 feet above the ground. It's like more like a fog. And it's really beautiful. I just took a picture of it with my camera. And I'm going to get ready to walk Bud. And I'm kind of, I had some coffee, but I'm kind of pumped this morning. And uh, just one last thing, the, the ground is wet. So it's kind of wet out here, but we, I checked the uh, radar again using the technology. Make sure that we can walk Bud without him getting wet. You know, it's really important stuff. Like getting rained on is no fun. It's not fun for me either. But uh, yeah, so the radar looks good. We're not going to get rained on. <laughs> which, which if you're not from Arizona, which most of you are, you won't understand. We get seven inches of rain. It's like very rare. So it was only 55 degrees. I think it's warmed up a bit. I do have like a sweatshirt on. And uh, what do we got here? Check the temp. It was 55, and it's is it still 55? Wow. Chilly willy. 87% humidity because of the rain. And what else we got going on? Um, you're the hero. I uh, had some exchanges with a coach, a writing coach. And she's going to a entrepreneurial get together. It's and she's going to give a little speech. Yeah, I like her business. She's got a good business. And uh, yeah, it's something she gets. There's a lot of successful entrepreneurs out there, and uh, that's great. Abund- I'm getting the abundance mentality. It feels better to have abundance mentality. Personal experience. <laughs> So, so if you're listening to this, hopefully you get some abundant. Wish other people well, even if your life's not going well. Uh, and it pro- and how do you know, right? It's like all measures. Like, is my life going well? No, I'm living no paycheck to no paycheck. So that kind of sucks, right? But on the other hand, whew, I'm walking my dog, right? I'm doing a podcast. I'm living large, man. <laughs> So, perspectives. Perspectives. I don't know your life, right? If you have your situation, that's the whole thing. It's like, I don't, it doesn't matter what I, I don't, you're, you have, I can't tell you what to do. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know what I'm doing. I guess I'm, I'm saying the so what, or the so what, and then the now what, right? The so what is, ah, gratefulness, I guess. Grateful. People talk about Having a grateful attitude. Yes, yes. And you can read, flip through Facebooks, 
somebody will have a little saying that'll be like, yeah, gratitude is the right attitude or cute little expressions that you see like in three microseconds and not comprehend it. And you may get a little endorphin hit like, yeah, yeah. But the real, real thing is to actually walk your dog or do whatever you're doing and have some gratitude, right? So I'm, I have gratitude. And uh, I also just finished, um, uh, th- there's a consulting, aerospace consulting company, right? So I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I don't know how this is going to go come across, but I, I had to fill out like a profile of some project I've worked on that I'm really proud of, right? So typically, 99% of the time, it's like a legit, easy to understand project. But what I'm most proud of is my own individual effort. Like, what did I do? And what was the impact? And whether I got credit for it or not, doesn't matter. I didn't get credit for it. And maybe I'm kind of pissed that I didn't, but, you know, that's the way it goes. And you, maybe you have that in your life. You do amazing things. And uh, in hindsight, you look back and go, wow, look at that amazing thing I did. And gee, the company made a lot of money on that. What did I get, right? That, that's one of the salespeople's dilemmas. It really, it really stinks because like if you get the big fish, yeah, big fish. Go get the big fish and then you ge- end up generating or you're creating a relationship that didn't exist before. You create a relationship that ends up, you know, could go on for years. And the company you work for could be benefiting, you know, bring in lots of business over over many, many years. And the owners are like, well, I don't want to pay the sales guy for that. I mean... You know, he's just a dumb sales guy or gal, a dumb sales gal. So we're going to fire them and just like let them go before they start getting commissions, you know. And this stuff probably happens all over. And then salespeople may or may not complain about it. It doesn't do a lot of good to complain about it because it's like everyone thinks like, oh, you're a salesman. Oh, yeah, it's, you know, you're you're making big bucks anyway. So, you know, okay, you got cut. You got some of your commissions cut. Oh, well, that's just too bad. <laughs> so, so we're like the discarded human resource. But one of the tricks is really good, clever, smart thinking salespeople. They kind of figure this stuff out after a while. So the key is the company is to try to hire the salesperson that's got the personality that can build the business, that can bring in the thing, and then you you kind of take you know keep them in the dark and you don't let them know what's going on. And, you know, you end up bringing in millions of dollars of business and the CEO or the owners are like, all right, great. Thank you very much. And the finance guy comes in and goes, oh, you know, by the way, um, our contract with the sales guy says you got to pay him a hundred grand next month. And the CEO's like, what? Whoa, whoa, what? And the finance guy's like, yeah, that's going to kill our, when we report our quarterly earnings, that hundred thousand dollar commission check to the salesman that's gonna that's gonna lower our margins and then the stock price might take a hit 
And it's like, what? 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 Just because we're going to pay the sales guy, congratulate him for a job well done at a hundred grand? You mean we're going to, you know, the company, the stock? And blah, blah, blah. Well, let's just, why don't we just fire the sales guy and not pay him the hundred grand? He did his job and we'll just hire another sales guy. And then we'll let him hunt. We'll let him hunt for another big fish. And then once he lands the big fish, then we'll do the same thing to him. We'll just fire him and then we won't pay him his commissions. It's great. Nobody will find out about it. Well, at least for a couple years. And then, shoot, hey, we might not even be in business in a couple years. We're just all bankrolling this thing and, and uh, being thieves. And we're just going to snag all the money out of it. And the listener, if you're, you know, 20 years old and you went to college and you learned all this finance stuff, like how to calculate gross margins and return on capital investments, you might be really smart about that stuff, right? But you, you forgot to remember that CEOs and people climb to the tops of these organizations to benefit themselves, right? So they, they'll publicly speak altruistic, like, Oh yeah, we care about the shareholders and the employees is our number one. Our people are our biggest asset. Oh yeah, yeah. The people are the biggest asset, but the salesmen are not. <laughs> Somehow the salespeople get left out of the, oh, we love our employees and we want them to stick around. Because it's the greed and it's the finance people who go, Oh, do you realize we got to pay that sales guy a hundred grand next month? Oh, really? And the finance guy is like, well, his job and his swim lane is to, to do the calculations on the finance. So he's going to report to the CEO and tell him something that, you know, he probably should know about it. But, you know, depending on the, you know, the attitude and the, the character of the CEO or whoever, He'll he'll either go, hey, I'm paying that guy his hundred thousand because he deserved it, and I want him to keep going, and I want him around again, and that's just a good CEO. Or they'll be like, oh, really? Hmm. Is there some way we can avoid paying that hundred thousand? You know. And then well, let me talk to HR person. Like, hey, HR, um, you know, can you dig up some dirt on this employee? Maybe we need to fire him. <laughs> Well, why is that? Well, we don't want to pay him a hundred grand because he did a good job. Wow, there's some conflict of interest. So I, that didn't happen to me, but I'm just saying that's kind of the example of these things. So is this like the real world? A bit, a bit. So big corporations, you're safer, but it, as I found working in these little companies, they uh, they're fraught with conflicts of interest. They're just full of conflicts of interest. So, and then it's a political game in the big corp, you know. It's like those British bureaucracy shows where the you just got to have the right words to speak and tell the, the prime minister. There was a PBS show. It's worth getting a chuckle at sometimes. Called Yes Minister. Yes Minister. So the joke was the the prime minister didn't know everything like like just like you we none of us know everything right so we're at the mercy of the people that have some level of knowledge of the situation so yes minister was this you know sniveling little dude that 
manipulated the prime minister into benefiting his tribe of civil servants, right? The civil servants. <laughs> so yes, minister is a, a program. So I should have known this the whole time. It's just, you watch it on TV and you get a chuckle out of it. But then when you grow up and you start working and you go, hey, this is for real. This, this stuff's... <laughs> This stuff's for real, man. People are like stabbing you in the back and knifing you to, to protect their own little turfs, their own little turfies. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I I, um, I decided to be transparent in my responses. I took a look and I'm like, okay, this person that's asking me these questions about my project yeah, those are good questions, you know, and I could continue the charade of trying to protect the situation and keep it on the up and up. But I, and I looked at the person's profile on LinkedIn, I go, well, this is like a student, a college student who's working for these people. And, uh, and I'm like, you know what? I might as well, it's, it's a lesson learned that I've experienced that she probably will never, you know, experience herself or, or not. But then again, maybe she's experienced something similar in a different way, you know. So I just an, I answered as completely and honestly as I could. And of course, I copied the, my peer who's like over 50, right? So the peer over 50 probably can see and understand and go, you know, yeah, that makes sense. You know, as a younger person, I'll be like, no way. I can't believe that that happened. I can't, that that's not possible. That's just not, that's not legitimate business, is it? And I'm like, and that's how I felt when I experienced it. I was like, this, this is bogus. These people were lying to me, man. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So I busted them and I was, I was probably let go because I knew too much, right? And they, and they don't want me to um, express it. And, and I'm not running to anybody and, you know, complaining, right? I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I've had this experience. That's pretty interesting. That's, that's kind of damaging kind of information to certain people's public in, images. You know, a kiss and tell type book. But I don't really want to, that's not my thing. I'm not a kiss and tell kind of dude. Because, I mean, I didn't kiss anybody. Um, I basically was uh, bullied, I guess, or lied to. But I have—I happened to be the only one there. So I saw it all. I was holding all the information. So, um, yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of interesting. So what's this to you? I don't, you know, and what now, right? So I'm talking to myself mostly and letting off my steam of frustration. Because on the one hand, I feel hurt, right, by it, because I didn't, I didn't profit from the thing. And uh, and yet, my masters, the people I work for, profited greatly from my work, and I got nothing out of it. So it kind of sucks, right? So. That unfortunately may happen to you at various scales in your life. It's just kind of this kind of hurts uh, when you, you see um, 
a big impact and you you don't get credit for it right you know you don't feel like you're compensated properly for it so i and i couldn't i couldn't negotiate a better deal because i didn't know that I, I was being hired into a charade charade company and i did fantastically better than they could ever ask or think that's the funny thing is is they didn't even know what was going to really benefit them to the most right and because i did what i did and uh it just made it all happen so quickly that they were able to get a big huge 70 million dollar savings over my three hundred thousand dollar sale and my three hundred thousand dollar marketing budget thing so yeah and it's just kind of fun to watch it play out it takes time right i mean the people are not involved who may know some stuff about it they're not involved so they just want to take the side of the the billionaires dude side like oh yeah well the billionaire is so smart yes he's so smart he did such a great deal on that but the billionaire doesn't know or maybe he knows it's all because of my efforts and smarts so am i praising myself overly i don't know it's uh, to me i'd say I, I stand by my effort and what i did and uh you know one of my favorite ex experiences was when the president asked me so so let me tell me how you think you're doing and selling this stuff and on a scale of one to ten right so this is tricky frameworking stuff so learn this is something you can learn here is and i'm still learning it myself too is don't be if someone asks you a question you don't have to answer it the way they're framing the question for example like how are you doing on sales on a scale of one to ten and and so the you know the obvious well not obvious the typical thing is like well how much have you sold blah 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 and uh you know and and so you could in a, in a traditional static environment you could easily measure how someone's doing in sales but i was in a situation where it was not clean cut in fact, the guy before me quit within a week. He said, you got nothing to sell here. But I found the golden goose to sell. See? So um, my, I paused. I thought, okay, scale of 1 to 10, how am I doing in sales? Well, numerically, one would argue that I'm only doing like a 1 or a 2. I'm doing terrible, right? But since I had to create the whole proposition and the value proposition, and I had no input from the president. He was just like dreaming and bullshitting and talking about Air Force. Oh, we're going to get this Air Force contract and all this bullshit. And he was like talking bullshit the whole time. And he had no strategic thinking capability and he had no direction. So he just let me flounder for the eight months I was working there. And I'm like, well, here's what we got, folks. Let's go sell this. And I sold it and I got it started on a marketing campaign. And I got the whole thing off and running. Okay, 
So instead of answering the question one to 10, I said, let's go, let's go to a, I don't like a one dimensional scale, see? So what I did was I said, well, let's, let's think about it two dimensionally. Like what was I given to work with, right? What, what, what did I come into? Like when I joined this company, did they say, here's our strategy. Here's how we're going to market. Here's how we're going to do this. Go, you know, we, we roughly estimate this kind of growth, uh, in this period of time. So that's what we're going to measure you against because this is our strategy and we've already proven it out for the last five years. No, there was none of that. They had no proof of anything. They had no track record, they just had bullshit. And I was supposed to like do something with their bullshit. And so there was no strategy and they, they were talk, they talked bullshit about, well, we should do this and we should do that. And I'm like, there's already companies that have been doing that for 30 years. Why is someone going to listen to us? You know, I'm like, why, why, why would anyone pay us to do their maintenance on an engine that we just learned about last year and we don't know jack about it? But I'll, but they're going to, because we're who we are, I should be able to sell that bullshit. You know, it was just like not logical. And it's like, there's, there's like 30 competitors doing this already. What's unique about us? And that's where I figured out our competitive advantage and uniqueness. So on that, that's where I'm saying this two dimensional scale is I was given nothing to start with. Nothing, no strategy, no plan, no marketing, just go sell. What a great strategy. <laughs> go sell what? What do we got to sell? So I was, it turns out I was just like a placeholder dude. Just a guy in the, you know, fill the spot. Because every, every company's got to have a business development sales guy. And uh, so they had the inkling of a right idea, but they didn't know how to implement it. So that's where I came in. And so it was only six or eight months, and so I got it going. I even sold something that I created. So I'm really proud of that. I created something that didn't exist and sold it. The customer was happy with it and everything. And then we start. Okay, well, this is the strategy. This is this is our opportunity. It's going to take time. It may take a couple of years, but we have a great value proposition, and we should uh, we can make this work. You know, but behind the scenes, there's always finance people and discussions that I wasn't privy to and I should have realized that after a couple months that I was being left out but I was like you know what if it's up to them they're the president whatever you want to keep me in the dark fine I'm gonna go sell this thing so in his mind his view is like oh I didn't sell any you know you know he he had these like oh man we you know I need a good sales guy that's gonna go sell our company you know and he had this imaginative goal of what someone like me could do for him. And he just, it was all just bullshit in his head. You know, the sad thing is, is he's like, don't, <laughs> here's full convention during this little brief conversation of like, so how are you doing on a scale of one to 10? And in hindsight, I learned that uh, he was already replacing me for some reason. I, I don't know. He already was hiring somebody to take my spot, but he was just like, I don't know, just like having fun with me or something because he didn't care. My answer didn't mean Jack, right? 
so and I, but I I confidently stood my ground and said, scale it's not a scale of one to ten, my friend. It's like what was I given to work with? And I said zero. Okay. So I told him with a clear conscience that there is nobody on planet Earth that could do as well as I've done. And uh, he had no comment to that. <laughs> there is nobody on planet. Isn't that, that's pretty, pretty confident, right? But I'm humble about it too, right? Can you mean this is something complex? Is being humble and yet confident, right? So what do I mean? How can I claim to uh, to say that um, there's nobody on planet Earth who could do as well as I did with a clear conscience of humility and confidence? And I'm saying, well, you know what? There really isn't, uh, and, and even if there was, this is the other point too, is even if there was somebody else on planet Earth that could have done better than myself, it doesn't matter because they weren't there. And it also doesn't matter because the company's out of business. So there's, this company was bogus to start with. So I might as well claim to be the person that couldn't, there's nobody on the planet that could do better than I did. I kind of sincerely believe that too, because the, 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 the environment that I was working in is just a bunch of guys bullshitting all day long. And it's just kind of amazing that, uh, that, <laughs> that they survived in that mode. But the, the most embarrassing thing or the most thought provoking thing and scary thing to me is like, the guy's assessment was like, well, you shouldn't really hire people like yourself. So I guess he sees me as just another bullshitter. But in, in fact, actuality, I'm not. I'm being truthful. So nobody could have done it. It was a bogus company. They weren't telling me anything. I created a program, sold it. And uh, it was good. And the guy they replaced me with, Here's further proof. The guy that uh, they thought, you know, he's really a one on a scale of one to 10, even though I was a 10 on a two-dimensional scale. Um, I was a one on their one-dimensional scale. So replace me. And what did the replacement do in 12 months? Zero. Sold nothing. I sold uh, about 400 grand worth of stuff, you know? So nothing, or 400 grand compared to nothing is pretty good. But they just didn't get it. I don't know, maybe they got it. I, I questioned, like, maybe they just, they knew what was going on. And, you know. So then I assumed that the, uh, the end game was really fun. Because the end game was I, uh, my efforts and my marketing ideas, um, they influenced the the big company that we were competing with. So the big company that we were competing with didn't like what I was doing, what I started doing. They didn't like all the marketing. Because essentially, the, the easiest way to put it is, 
and most people know what Toyota cars are and they're very reliable. So essentially what was happening was the big company had been making money for the last 40 years selling maintenance contracts on an engine designed in 1970 that's still flying, so 50 years later. And they make a lot of money selling maintenance contracts and they sell them because the customers know that they need to pay something to cover the maintenance. So they just they just say, okay, we'll pay you. And, uh, but this new engine that they came out with, uh, designed 30 years later, is more like a Toyota. So it doesn't really have the extreme maintenance expenses as the old engine does. But they still, they knew it was a cash cow. So they wanted to sell maintenance contracts for this thing. And people are too scared to go like, oh, it's an airplane, man. It's an engine. Oh, my gosh. I better pay what they're asking. They, they, this company, they must know what they're doing. You know, they're, they're, they're being fair. They're going to charge me this. So they're fair. And it turns out they were like doubling the actual expenses of what it should cost. And that's where we, that's where my plan came in is to explain to people that, hey, this engine's like a Toyota. It's, it's, it's a great engine. And I had the facts behind me because the parent company had 120 of these engines flying them 1,000, 1,200 hours a year. And the average guy flies 200 to 300. So these engines were hitting milestones, maintenance milestones that these companies wouldn't see for 10 or 15 years. And we were already seeing the maintenance results. So I had the facts. The facts are the engine's great. So why are you spending all this money with this big company? And it was so, once the word got out, and it takes time to sell it, but they just got impatient and the the big company probably figured out, we gotta stop this now because they're gonna, the word's gonna get out to customers that they shouldn't be paying all this money. And the customers are gonna be pissed. So they basically cut a deal with this parent company of ours. And that's not the core. It's just a cost. The guy's a bully in the industry. The guy owns like 200 corporate jets and he rents them out. But uh, one of the customers I tried to sell, I could have saved him $3 million personally. This guy in Minnesota. I could have, our company could have saved him $3 million in 10 years. Sounds like a lot of money, right? And the owner said, who, who are you guys? Who? Oh, you're owned by that guy. Oh, I hate that guy. So I'm not doing it. So, <laughs> so, so that's the kind of people we're dealing with. I love rich people, right? So some of you, most of the people struggle with this income inequality thing. But I love rich people, and I think there should be more rich people. So, Because the more rich people there are, the more corporate jets that are sold, and people should fly in corporate jets. It's just, that's just the way to fly, people. So I'm all down with it. So you, I, I imagine most of my listeners are kind of, oh, those rich people are terrible, man. They're terrible people, those rich people. But they're actually really good. I mean, they buy corporate jets. They probably donate millions of dollars to charity. They do good stuff. So, I, And I know lots of people at work 
purely because there's rich people that buy corporate jets. In fact, there's 2,000 employees that show up every day in the former East Germany. And all they do is work for the uber wealthy. And my German friend doesn't like me telling him that because income inequality is a popular problem. Like people make it out like, oh, income inequality. Well, think about yourself. I mean, did you not maybe work at a grocery store or McDonald's or something making minimum wage when you were 16, 17, 18 years old, putting yourself through college? And now you probably make more than that. So it's, it's like if you take a snapshot of every person's income this year, this month, of course there's going to be people making minimum wage. But those people aren't going to stay working in minimum wage. People shouldn't stay there. Those are like entry-level jobs to learn skills to take with you to the next job. It's a fluid fluid world. And, and it's tough because I'm in the generation of work for a company for... 20, 30 years, and now the millennials, you guys already have it figured out. Like, now you jump from company to company. And part of that jumping in from company to company is you learn skills and take them to the next guy and get paid more to use your skills in a new place and add more value. So there you go. Income inequality is not a bad thing. In fact, it also drives innovation because it gets your creative juices going. What can we offer the world that will benefit them and you can exchange money for it, right? So, big truck going by. So that's, uh, that's incoming quality. So I love the corporate jets, but I, and I love this story. It's so classic, a rich dude. He must have a net worth of like $500 million to own one of these $25 million jets and not just buy the jet, but then you got to pay for pilots and maintenance and a place to store it, fuel to fly it. He's probably spending total spend for that aircraft is probably, I don't know, $3 million a year anyway for all the stuff he's spending, maybe 2 million, depending on how much he's flying. But I focused in on his maintenance and he could pay this big company like six million dollars the next 10 years or he could pay us three million and and that that would be saving him three million bucks in 10 years but he he's a rich guy and he's like who what who are you guys who are you he wants to know he wants to know the character of the company he's dealing with right so apparently the parent company apparently the parent company uh, piss this rich guy off somehow. So two rich guys, two billionaires, you know, they, they have egos, right? So apparently the guy that owned my company was an asshole, or at least to this guy. So this guy thought, no, I'm not doing business with that guy. He's a jerk. And maybe he screwed him over in some business deal earlier. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to deal with him because he screwed me over five years ago or maybe even three years ago. And here, well, I didn't know this stuff. And here I was trying to sell 
the guy on something. Then when I reported back to my boss, saying that, well, this customer could have saved $3 million on our plan, would have been a great sale for us. But he said he hated our guy. He hated him. And, and the president of my company, should have, he said, well, you should have told him that you hate him too. We all hate him. I'm like, what kind of business am I involved in, right? How It sounds funny, like, oh, yeah, tell him we hate him too, yeah, just to get him to sign up for a $3 million contract. And uh, <laughs> crazy, folks. Crazy. So how can you apply that to your life? I don't know. You just, the numbers sound, the other thing is, is numbers. They're just numbers. And uh, we we get enamored by num- big numbers, right? Ooh, big numbers, right? But it's a people business. I think a sales guy said, there's all these sales tactics and tricks and things, but it's the dis- buying decision happens in the brain inside somebody else's head. So that's all that matters is how are we communicating to the buyer's mind? And... I, uh, I mean, in hindsight, it was a good thing that the guy didn't sign up for the three million, the three million dollar savings because the company went out of business and he probably would have ended up having to get lawyers involved and sue him and stuff like that. So he made a better decision by not. He went with his gut. His gut was, this guy's a jerk. So I'm not buying from him, even though this guy's telling me I can save three million bucks. He's like, you must have heard that kind of crap before. He's like, oh, I have heard that kind of crap before. Who, who, who's the character? Who are the people that I'm dealing with? And I actually didn't meet the owner because I had to work through the maintenance director, but he told me how it all went down. You know, I, I poured like three or four hours analyzing his his flight patterns and how much he flies and did different scenarios of 400 hours a year, 500 hours a year. Made a little chart for him on one page showing the uh, savings he would get. So the the net worth dude of 500 to a billion dollars looked at the chart and said, "Who are these guys?" <laughs> Oh, it's his company. No, I hate that guy. So there you go, people. Character matters. Reputation uh, matters. And uh, I'm learning, like, I can't take it personally. I worked for the guy. I didn't really know. I worked indirectly for the guy. And I I was in his presence once, but even the was never introduced so I didn't do the typical sales guy, like, oh, I'm going to go say hi to this dude. He's a billionaire. Okay. No, I did the British thing, which is just lay back. And if the president wants to introduce me to him, he will. But I'm not going to force myself on the billionaire. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. What do we? I'm almost home with Bud, but I had a good walk. It's still wet out, the sun's up, 
I'm hoping to have a coffee with the Polish gal this afternoon and uh, find out how her business is going. She's got like three or four going on. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I got my things to do. What I'm do what I'm here to called to do. And I got some good feedback from this uh, older guy. I took him to. I did a good deed. My good deed yesterday was to take this retired guy to meet a bunch of other retired guys who were building a train um, model train exhibit at the Arizona. Capitol building, which is a 1903 building before the state even became a state. It's got a lot of history in there. And uh, some of these train people, there's a whole group of people that love model trains. I'm not one of them. But my good deed was I know somebody that does love model trains. So I brought him over to meet the guys and check out their fancy train models so my good deed was introducing the groups and i'm not a uh, train guy so it was a sacrifice of my mental energies because i have no interest in participating in the model train world business i appreciate it but i appreciate people more than the trains and and then the train people actually are people people so they just happen to have a significant interest in model trains. And uh, I thought these two people need to meet each other. It's part of my super connector persona. My workplace persona is to connect people. And my good deed did not go um, unpunished. So I actually got a nice Jason's Deli Reuben sandwich out of the deal. And they probably put on a pound or two of weight. That's my punishment as I gained weight. But, uh, the, uh, the session at, uh, the Capitol building was definitely worthwhile. And I'd like to go back again, not to see the trains, but it's a history of Arizona. So I started learning some fascinating things about Arizona. And uh, it's not that old of a state. And one of the funny things for you people that have connections to Texas and even Colorado, um, I learned yesterday that the New Mexico territories extended from Texas all the way to California, and there was a bunch of Texans who didn't want it to be one big state. They wanted to divide it up into different states so that Texas could still be the biggest state. They wanted, you know, and there's that pride and egotism coming in. Everybody has their own personal interests. So this Arizona may not have existed. It might have been one big state of New Mexico and even Colorado might not have existed. So I'm not sure 
how that history played out exactly, but it sure makes sense that Texas, Texas pride, I don't know how to talk Texas. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking Alabama, South Carolina. <laughs> and I love those people, but, you know, it's a different language to some extent. Y'all. Hey, y'all. Yeah, we love y'all. We love y'all always. How about instead of love everyone always, we'll just call it love y'all always. <laughs> that was worth waiting to the end of the podcast for. So there's always surprises at the end of these podcasts. All right, so Bud's been walked. I got stuff to do. Let's, let's shut this uh, this podcast down at 45 minutes, so. Grace, peace, and mercy. Let's see what kind of trouble I stirred up with my emails this morning. All right. Bye-bye.